to the sermon. We talked about this a little early on in the service when we were uh, kind of, in, Rachel was introducing the songs. But I want us to just take a moment now um, just to pray together uh, about the events of the last few weeks. Uh, I've talked to a number of you that just feel kind of a deep heaviness, and I feel it as well uh, with the events going on around, uh, around the country. And the beauty of the Christian life is that we can and we are called to and can sit with both the joy of incredible things like the baptism of Ava Starr, uh, the transition of Stephanie, uh, the testimony of Jeffrey, but also we, can, we are called to and we can, through the Holy Spirit, sit with some hard and difficult events uh, and lament and mourn and pray and process those together. Amen? As you all know, a couple weeks ago in Buffalo, New York, an 18-year-old uh, young man, a racist young man, goes into a grocery store in a predominantly black part of town, in the open fire. You guys know this already, but he killed 10 innocent black men and women and wounded a number more. In Southern California, uh, a man opened fire on a Taiwanese church congregation. Uh, If you missed this in the news out in California, uh, mainly elderly people, uh, leaving one heroic man who charged the gunman dead and others wounded. And then just this past week, there's no way you missed this, but just this past week, a school shooting in Texas. And last I read, there were 19 children killed, as well as two teachers. These are elementary school students, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, where a gunman came in, barricaded himself in the school, and just opened fire. Kids are huddled under desks. While they are hearing and seeing gun firing off shot after shot. I don't know about you, but as I've processed this, I feel like my stomach has just been in knots after event after event. It's just unbelievably sad and unbelievably tragic. So what do we do with this? As Christians, how do we respond? And I would say first and foremost, we lament. Lament means we take an opportunity to grieve and be sad. When we see events like this that are happening around our country, we think of Psalm 34:18, which says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord sees our grief and sadness and draws near to us. So don't be afraid to grieve and lament. We let the reality of what happened sink in as best it can. We're not afraid to look at the pictures of the victims to say their names. The racist shooting of the grocery store in Buffalo, I kept thinking, what if that had happened at the Kroger in the West End? What if that had happened to the Kroger off of Cleveland, predominantly black parts of Atlanta? How would we process that as a city? For the school shooting, I mean, that could be any of our babies. After that shooting happened, I know so many of us that dropped our kids off at school did so with such a heavy heart the next day. This church shooting in Laguna Woods, I got phone calls from multiple of you after that happened just to ask, what do we do as a church in response to this? Because it hits us all on one level or another. And so many of us struggle with grieving because we're we're tempted to kind of stuff that grief, that sadness into our pockets and just move on to what's next. And I'm just telling you, and we've done this in the past, but don't quickly move on. Let yourself hurt and go through the Lord, go to the Lord with your pain. 
And the second thing is pray for wisdom on how to respond. I will say this, I'm not up here to give a, you know, here's the solution for how this stops, but good gosh, there has to be solutions out there. I don't pretend to have that perfect solution, but there has to be some reform for how to prevent these shootings. So love your neighbors well by seeking to be part of that solution. Reach out to representative. We've got to figure this out as a country. And and the last thing is to pray for the victims and the families. The new widows, the mamas that are crying themselves to sleep as they hold pictures of their murdered kids. The husbands who lost their wives, the dads who lost their babies, the siblings who lost a brother and sister and are adjusting to this new normal, this new terrible normal for them. So we're going to pray for them. So I'm going to pray, and then there's a prayer that's going to pop up on the screen, and when I get to that, I'm going to to invite you all to pray that prayer with me. Father, we do pray, and we grieve alongside brothers and sisters all over the country. We join with churches that are grieving this morning. We call out the, the racism that exists, that leads to shootings like the one that happened in Buffalo. We call out... The, the, the terrible sin that leads to shootings like the one in California as well as the one in Texas. And Father, we ask that your kingdom would come. We ask that your will would be done. We ask that this place would look a little bit more like heaven. So Father, I pray for the victims. I pray for the families. I pray for the brothers and sisters, for the moms and dads. I pray that you would draw near to those who are in grief. You, you claim to be close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. And these men and women, and the men and women surrounding in their community, are crushed in spirit this morning. And may you draw near to them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now you can join me as we pray the prayer on the screen. O oh Lord, you who abhor those who murder the innocent, Be not deaf to our bitter cries, we pray. Do not abandon us to our pain this day. Hear our raging words of protest, O God of Jacob. Heed our groans for justice and meet us in this lowly and desperate place. Awake, Lord. Rouse yourself. Deliver us from evil for your name's sake, so that we might witness your might to save in your power to heal. We pray this in the name of our fortress and refuge. Amen. 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 And the last thing I'll say with this is that if you are struggling to know how to process this, and this has struck a nerve with you, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. You're not alone as you grieve. You're not alone as you process. We have brothers and sisters in Christ to process it with, as well as the pastors and the staff to process it with. So don't, don't feel alone as you grieve and process the events of our country. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 16. Uh, kiddos, if you're getting your wiggles, uh, getting a little wiggly, that's okay. It's always the point in the family worship service where we get a little wiggly, and that's okay. So you can kind of shake your arms, kind of kick your legs out. Uh, if, they, if you kick the person in front of you's chair, that's okay. They know that they are here for this process of all being in church together. 
But we're going to look at Acts 16, uh, verses 16 to 34, in this incredible story about Paul and Silas. And I want, before we get started, I want to acknowledge that, as always, with our family worship service, uh, Anna uh, Kim, our kids director, plays a significant role in the preparation of these sermons. So we are thankful for her, and you will see her fingerprints as I preach this morning. So I'm going to read this and then pray uh, that God would uh, open our ears to his word this morning, and then I'll dive into this text. Starting in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, when we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future, she had earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful, for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night... The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the role your word has played in the lives of all of us here present today. And we pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, open our ears to what you have to tell us this morning. Father, may truth come from my lips, and anything that is not from you, may it fall on deaf ears. Grow us up through the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so main idea of the sermon. I was told last week, if you were here, that I was supposed to have a main idea, so here it is. Um, Main idea, we are called to share the gospel 
with our actions and with our words. Let's say it together. We are called to share the gospel with our actions and with our words. So when I say gospel there, the gospel defined is the good news that Christ willingly took the punishment we deserved and gave us the forgiveness that he earned. Ava explained this beautifully in the video that we showed earlier. So with this in mind, with this is the main idea, this is what the gospel is, let's look at this incredible story. There's a slave girl, a fortune teller, and apparently this slave girl, as we just read, was quite good at predicting the future, which would be, you know, sweet no matter what. Like, we're all in on that would be kind of cool. And she brought home some serious coin for her owners. However, one of the persistent features that we see in the New Testament is the ability of various spirits and demons to recognize Jesus, even when others, including the disciples, could not. So here Luke understands that he describes a demon properly identifying Paul and Silas as followers of God. And though that might have been a cool trick she had, the girl would cry out, to Paul, she understood that these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She understood who they were even when the people around them didn't. However, eventually Paul became so annoyed by her stalking him that he exercised, he called out the demon inside of her. And this is all great, right? Cheers all around. Not so much. This was much to the displeasure of her owners because they were using this little girl in order to gain money for themselves. And then things get really ugly. The owners accuse Paul and Silas of disturbing the peace and being Jews. We see a bit of kind of Roman, kind of anti-Semitism here. The crowds riot and beat them within an inch of their lives. Then they threw them into prison. And they placed their feet in stock, kind of handcuffs for their feet. So things are not looking too good for our heroes in this story. But this is where it gets really interesting. It's midnight, literally and figuratively, the darkest hour. And you might expect Paul and Silas to be down in the dumps. They've just been thrown into prison. But no, they're, in fact, singing hymns about Jesus so loud that other prisoners can hear. So there they are at midnight in the stock singing their hearts out when the Scripture tells us that there was a violent earthquake that was so violent that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now imagine, if you're Paul and Silas, you have been unjustly thrown into prison. You've had those kind of handcuffs around your probably hands and your feet. And how good it would have felt, just physically good it would have felt to have yourself released from that. Knowing you're completely innocent. I mean, kids, imagine if your mom and dad has been blaming you for something that your brother did. Not that this ever happens. And then your punishment for what they did is lost screen time for the whole day. And so you're thrown into timeout, sit on the couch, no screen time for the whole day, mom's in the other room, and all of a sudden the TV just comes on. Paw Patrol's just blaring through the speakers. I mean, how good would that have felt? Like, okay, finally someone sees me that that was not actually my fault. 
I mean, Paul and Silas could have just walked out of that prison and we would have all said, you're 100% justified to do so. And then we understand that this is when it gets very real for that jailer. See, we don't see this in the story, but according to Roman law, if someone escapes from prison under the watch of a jailer, that jailer is not just punished, he is held responsible, and the punishment is whatever punishment that those prisoners he was guarding deserved or were convicted of. So the jailer realized he's about to be in a mess of trouble and he was literally about to fall on his sword when Paul yells out, it's okay, we haven't gone anywhere. The jailer calls for lights and saw that they actually were still there. He takes them outside and his whole countenance shifts. He said, what do I have to do to be saved? Paul and Silas, hearing this as a religious question, answered, saying, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Which is what happened. Him and his household were baptized. The jailer then responds by cleaning Paul and Silas' wounds. How? By a 180 from the way he treated them before. Scripture says he brought them into his house and set food before them. He and his entire household rejoiced. Why? Because he had become a believer in God. I love that we get to celebrate a baptism the same day we get to read this passage. In church, we see that in this passage, a truth that every single one of us already kind of instinctively knows, that there is a distinct connection between our words and our actions. And we know this in every significant relationship in our lives. Think about your own close, significant relationships. Who are the people who are closest to you that love you the most? I can stand up here and say with 100% confidence that there is a common theme in those relationships. The people that you understand to love you the most, their actions and their words line up with each other. Maybe it's a parent. They told you you were loved with their words, but they also showed up to your recitals. They stayed up late to help you with homework. They consoled you after that first broken heart in middle school or high school. Maybe it's a friend. If you call them in need of help, you know they're going to answer. If they say they're coming over to hang out or help you with something, they're not going to cancel at the last minute. Say it's a neighbor that tells you you're important to them And then they show it to you by looking out for you and your house and your kids. We see this truth throughout the Scripture. James 2 tells us, Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And we also know the flip of this so well. The most pain we've experienced in this life, and it's not unredeemable, so let me paint a picture that there's not hope when you've experienced this pain, but the most pain we've all experienced is when someone connected to us who we thought loved us well betrayed us with their actions, gossiped about us, or abandoned us on some level. When that happened, we lost trust not only in what they most recently said, but then we started to question the things that we said before because their words and their actions did not line up. In this church, we need to understand as a small C church at Redeemer and the church 
across the world the sobering reality that what we communicate with our words has to be backed up by our actions, and that is what the outside world, those outside of these four walls, are hearing from us. Shout out to my 80s babies, but there was a, a Christian band that I was late to the Christian music, uh, uh, I don't know what to call that, phase or whatever, so there's a band called DC Talk, Does anybody remember them back in the day? There's a special kind of subsection of Christians that love some uh, DC talk. But I was late to the game, but there's a song that that isn't even, it's before they even start singing, but in that song, there's a number of wonderful ones that are not mentioning here as well, but there's a song at the beginning, at the beginning of one of their songs, I think it's called What If I Fail, but they talk, there's somebody speaking at the beginning, and he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And the beauty of this is, though, though that is sobering to sink in, on the flip side of that is, there's a quote by Gavin Ortland, the theologian that I love, and he says, in all my work in apologetics, which is uh, kind of giving a reason for your faith and helping people understand the Christian faith, and all my work in apologetics, I've been persuaded that for many people the best argument for Christianity is godly Christians and the biggest stumbling block is hypocrites. You see, our faith being intimately connected to our lives and our actions can be and is used by God to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, this is what Paul and Silas did. They weren't just good dudes doing the right thing. These are men because of the love of Jesus who chose radical love. And the reason this story is so profound, is so incredible, incredible, is because it's not simply about them, but it's a reflection of Jesus. Think about this. Paul and Silas are willing to put their own comfort behind the jailer's life. They're willing to say, I'm going to stay in this prison because if I leave, you're going to die. Who does that remind you of? Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul and Silas were reflecting Jesus when they gave up their privilege, their, their ability to walk out of that prison for the sake of that jailer. Second, Paul and Silas were willing to suffer more in order for him to not have to kill himself or be killed by the authorities. Who does this remind you of? They were willing to say, not only am I going to you know, not leave, if I stay, they're going to continue, more than likely in their minds, they don't know they're going to get let loose. There, there's a good chance they continue to, get, to continue to suffer for the sake of this jailer. And who does that remind you of? Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain, speaking of Jesus, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. By Roman law, 
If a jailer let a prisoner escape, he would be punished in that same punishment by the same punishment that prisoner was given. So they are saying, we will stay and continue to be punished in order for you to not be punished, which would happen if we left. Brothers and sisters, this is a sacrificial love of Jesus. The same love they sang about in those hymns was a sacrificial love that was displayed to that jailer. And what an incredible love it was. We need to understand just how unique, how different this is. They're not giving out of their excess. They're not saying, oh, you know, we bought too much bread. Let me find somebody to give it to. They're giving up in order for this man to get so that he, they're choosing to suffer so that he doesn't have to. When I was studying this story this week, I couldn't help but think of my friends, Jessica and Mark. And Jessica and Mark have been married for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years now. But they, when they were dating, uh, things were starting to get serious. And Jessica told me this story years later. But they were dating, and they were actually over at um, that pizza shop off 10th or 14th by Georgia Tech, the one that's shaped like a triangle. Um, Rocky Mountain, Mountain Rocky, something like that. Uh, Rocky Mountain Pizza. They said they were sitting there, and Jessica had some, some stuff that she knew she needed to share with Mark. And so she shared some stuff with Mark about some mistakes that she had made, and she had gotten herself into an enormous hole financially. She was in her early 20s, but had gotten herself into an enormous hole financially. She owed credit cards. She owed IOUs to uh, family members. She had some other high-interest loans. And so she just kind of spilled all this to Mark because she wanted him to understand this is what you're you know, getting yourself into if we continue to get more and more serious. And so the conversation, as you would expect, got you know, very serious and very quiet and very kind of somber. And after she explained everything, Mark, he took a deep breath. And then he got out his backpack, which he had, and he pulled out a checkbook, which for kids in the room, you don't even know what these are anymore, uh, but a checkbook. And he asked her to list out all the people that she owed money to. And she started with the credit cards, and she said, I owe this credit card company you know, $3,412. And he got a check, and he wrote out a check for $3,412 and handed it to her. And this is, and Mark is not, a, you know, a millionaire. I mean, he definitely, he checked the bank account, you know, tried to figure out if he had enough. But she goes to the next one. And she said, I also owe this credit card that I maxed out another two or $3,000. I owe this family member that gave me an IOU that, you know, I really should have never asked for, but I'm, I'm years behind on paying them back. I owe this other person. I don't even know, you know how I got into this mess, but I owe this mess as well. And he asked her to go from beginning to end, and every time she explained who she owed money to and how much it was, he just kept writing checks. Check after check until she was completely in the clear. And this is the, the beauty of a gospel love. A gospel love is not just saying, oh, I like you, therefore I love you, I'm going to treat you well. Gospel love is saying, I love you, and I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Even if it costs me, I'm willing to love you. And we think about this. If we love this way, it blows the doors off of buildings. It, 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 it connects with people in the deepest parts of who they are. Think about this even for the kids in the room. Think about if your sister or brother, which this probably never happens, maybe this only happens at the Henley household, but say your sister or brother hits you or steals something from you or, you know, pokes your buttons, 
What is the desire that we have as kids and adults when this happens? It's to immediately do the same thing back. But the gospel teaches us not to treat that person as they deserve, but better. So what does it look like? What does it look like if you are a friend that, you know, you have, you've had a friend that spreads a rumor about you or tells a secret that you did not want them to share? And that you have all sorts of juice on them. What is your instinct when you know they've shared and gossiped? Your instinct every time is to share and gossip right back about them. And you have the opportunity, though, because of the gospel, to love them well, even if it costs you. So this is the call we have, and we have to recognize that people are noticing. So a slide to recap this is that the love of Jesus was shown to that jailer by Paul and Silas. And the love of Jesus was preached to that jailer, and then the love of Jesus changed that jailer. So not only does this change how we live our lives, but we have got to be ready as Jeffrey said, with one of his callings, one of his purposes, to share about the love of Jesus. Us as a church at Redeemer, you guys do an incredible job of of actively loving people well, but I do think there's a challenge for us to be more brave in sharing the gospel with our words. See, Paul and Silas, in the moment when that jailer came to them and said, what in the world is going on here? Tell me more about this. They were ready to share their faith. Romans 10 tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we are called to not just love our neighbors as ourselves with our actions, but be ready and prepared to tell them about Jesus. So the questions I'll leave you with here, are you ready to love in a way that sacrifices for others? And are you ready to share the gospel with others? And the best part about this, the most freeing part about it, is all we're doing, all we've ever been doing, is simply responding to the one that first loved us. So as we transition to take communion, we're reminded that we're not loved because we do great things for Jesus. We're not loved because you shared your faith perfectly this week. First and foremost, we come to Jesus like we do every Sunday, As the prayer book tells us, we are miserable offenders. And we recognize that He chooses to love and forgive us. And then out of that love and forgiveness, we get to go offer that to a world which is in such desperate need of it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Paul and Silas and the story that we have in Acts 16. We're thankful for an opportunity that we have as believers to be challenged by the Word, to recognize that our life is not simply a call to take care of ourselves, that we are called to love ourselves and our families well. But may you 